You're listening to Out of the Box, a place for marketers to get inspired, get going, and break out of the box. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Jess Overton. You're listening to Out of the Box, the marketing podcast exploring out-of-the-box approaches to marketing and growth. Today, I'm joined by Trang Dow, VP of Growth at Adam Finance. Trang, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. An absolute pleasure. So before we we really get into the bits and bytes of what we're going to talk about today, you've you've had a pretty colored career, uh, starting in, in pretty hardcore finance and hedge funds. Um, moving into tech and and then finally finding your way back towards Wall Street with uh, with Adam Finance. Give us a little bit more on uh, on your history and and your career path. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I did come sort of full circle. Um, so I, I spent the first five years of my career in finance, where I worked in structured credit and then at a hedge fund. That was before, during, and after the the Great Recession. So very uh, eventful time for me there. Um, I decided to make a career switch, and I moved into startups. So my first role was at Kayak. I was there for about five years, uh, working in marketing. And since then, I've I've really just stayed in the last decade in growth and marketing at a bunch of startups, including Casper. ZocDoc, Greenlight Debit Card, Meal Kit, Hungry Root, um, and now I'm back in, in finance at Adam. Super cool. So I've, I've got a whole bunch of questions because you've covered so many uh, different industries, uh, and, and I'm sure that we'll get back to all the marketing tactics you've learned across those different uh, uh, spheres. But before I guess we, we, we really dive in, what, what about Adam Finance? What do you guys do? What differentiates you in the, in the fintech field? Tell us a little bit more about the organization. Yeah, sure. So we launched in 2019, so we're, we're still relatively new as a consumer software platform, and we provide institutional quality investment resources to individual investors. So I know that's a bit of a handful, but you know, you want to think of us like, you know, fintech is definitely a really crowded space, but we're not a brokerage, and we very much operate in a white space, right? So we address the massive information gap between professional solutions such as the Bloomberg Terminal, CapIQ, you know, these are things professionals use that cost about $20,000 a year. And on the consumer retail side, where there's really just Yahoo and Google Finance. So we sit squarely in the middle of that. Um, as a consumer, when you create an Atom account, you can follow stocks, link your brokerage accounts, and then we build a fully customized personal experience for you based on your portfolio that includes all the relevant information, breaking news alerts, three times a day market briefings, benchmarking, street consensus estimates, screening, filings, transcripts, like you name it, we have it. Um, so we cover the entire gamut of necessary investment research tools. And you said that you guys got started in 2019. I mean, that, that's pretty fortuitous timing, right? I mean, I, I think over the course of this past year, some 10 million or more new online brokerage, brokerage accounts have been created. So how, how, how have you guys been seeing that growth and, and what's really been driving that growth and how do you guys fit into that? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. So I think over the last few years, we definitely have seen a boom in individual trading because of a lot of the commission-free brokerages that have popped up in the landscape that have changed the way that people access the markets. And then on top of that this year, the pandemic, staying at home, you know, all the increased volatility in the markets just really accelerated the trend. So we definitely have a world 
now where retail and individual investors expect really easy access to the market. And the focus on, you know, I think, unfortunately, is on where you can make the cheapest, most convenient trades. Um, So this is where we come in. And this is why Adam exists, right? So our principles are that access to the market should be accompanied with access to quality data and information. So if investors Mm -hmm. can access the same markets that professionals can access, then it only makes sense that they should also be armed with the same tools, the intelligence that the professionals have, because that's really the only way that you can make smart, informed investing decisions. And, you know, it's really the only way that the the playing field is leveled. Right. So you mentioned that really the the your your competition is the Bloomberg terminal, right? If if you take uh, uh, the Bloomberg terminal is really the the, the pinnacle of uh, the, of investment resources, and on the other side we've got Yahoo or other other types of uh, of app like that, but but they're really pretty bare bones. Yeah, that's correct, and and it's it's been a tricky, um, at least for me, just marketing and 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 messaging. It it has been kind of tricky because you know. Um, Yahoo and, and Bloomberg, I think, are just sort of the analogies on the complete opposite sides of the spectrum of, of what we build, right? We aren't, you know, we, 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 have, we don't necessarily have the same offering. What we do is we take the best from both um, and build it for the individual investor. And so, yes, like Bloomberg has, is, is, you know, has been around for a couple, you know, like a very long time. It, it, it literally launched as a piece of hardware. Like that's, that's how old it is. And it's a very powerful tool that the professionals use. Um, but, you know, even still a lot of our founders, you know, as you know, like I worked in finance, like it wasn't, it still didn't offer a complete package of, of what you would need. Like you still rely on a bunch of other tools. So we sort of take the best of Bloomberg and all the professional tools. We take, every, you know, the best of the consumer platforms, which is, you know, a user-friendly um, interface that's available in the app and then we combined it into one product gotcha so you talk you talked a little bit about building your message uh, around this sort of stuff and you know there, there's there's so much information these days and there's so much that that we can consume all of the time and in the days of uh, you know davy day trader giving giving his opinions on on what we what we should be buying or selling, or uh, you know, Elon Musk uh, uh, tweeting that the stock is too high and, and it tanking ten percent. How do you how do you craft a message that that really gives consumers uh, or or potential traders or, or whatever you might call them uh, the confidence and the knowledge that they need your product, that their product is going to help them? Yeah, so that that very much has been our challenge, right? Because I think. You know, so again, you have expensive professional tools such as Bloomberg, and for the most part, if you're a professional, um, you don't really need a lot of guidance. You really know what you're going to Bloomberg for, and you really know, uh, you know, what information you need from it. And then on the consumer side, you have a bunch of investing advice sites like Motley, Seeking Alpha, and a bunch of other, you know, fragmented content sites, you know, Reddit threads, and things like that. And those are all noisy and, you know, not necessarily as raw and powerful and, and database right because those are very much advice sites um and so for us a lot of the challenge has been you know tapping into trying to tap into uh you know our the individual investors who understand that uh you know all of the advice they get should be grounded in research and so a lot Mm -hmm. of our messaging is you know we have this is like the powerful knowledge platform right like knowledge is power um 
you know, we are making sure that all investors have equal access to the same raw data and research as the professional, um, you know, professional investor. So, you know, our offering is not advice sites, right? Our offering is actually, uh, you know, we have, uh, you know, Wall Street analyst estimates, we have um, equity research reporting, we have, you know, premium news content that actually covers, uh, you know, like real market movements and, and corporate decision making and things like that, right? We, we are very much not like, um, you know, that, you know, this is Jim Cramer's like top five stocks of the day or something like that. And so, yeah. um, you know, we've really had to work hard to carve a space for ourselves where, you know, it's, it's you know, it, it's like, hey, you know, obviously on the retail side, there's a lot of activity, like there's a lot of, um, you know, people who are excited about trying to find the hot stocks and things like that. But, you know, like, it's really important that you do your research, right? I think we've seen, uh, you know, some pretty tragic examples of what happens when the information is limited or when the information is oversimplified, you know, and, 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 you know, people can make reckless decisions, um, you know, or not reckless, but really more uninformed decisions just because the data wasn't available to them for them to, to consume. Absolutely. I've heard of a, a bunch of stories along those lines, and, and it, it can end quite tragically. Uh, we have a lot of experience uh, in, in, in marketing in the, in the app ecosystem in the East, if we look to places like Indonesia uh, or China, where, where they have what you might call super apps, right? If we look at uh, things like Grab or, or Gojek or uh, uh, you know, WeChat, uh, which incorporate a huge amount of, of different functionalities within the fintech space. Do you see do you see the potential of of, of bundling these things together? Uh, you know, whether it be in, in partnership or 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 any other format. Yeah. You know, consolidation does feel inevitable, right? Because it it does seem to be the natural trajectory of of business, and also just you know defines the motivation of business. Um, I think we are likely to see it happen in the West, but it, you know, I it, it's too early to say. I think for fintech, what what we'll see in that industry, I'll, I'll certainly stay tuned to see how things unfold. But I think if this year has taught us anything, it's just you know things can swing dramatically and, and change pretty quickly and. Uh, we just we just have to be prepared for whatever whatever happens. Absolutely. So I want to I want to double click on this year. Um, uh, so you mentioned uh, uh, the year that that has been, and obviously it's it's been pretty eventful uh, to say the least. What what have what are the main markers, or what are you taking from uh, from the year 2020 for fintech? Uh, so I do think, uh, you know, so obviously with the pandemic, we saw the, you know, record levels of, of individual trading activity. I think at Adam, we, we saw record you know, growth, record engagement, all that, you know, all that business. And I think um, we sort of touched on this before. And, you know, I think in, in um, what we can expect is that because this year we've seen a lot more speculative, riskier retail investor behavior and, and because we know that it can be quite treacherous, uh, we do see these investors beginning to recognize that, you know, simplification of information or limited information is just not sufficient. And hopefully in the brokerage and trading spaces, we'll see a reckoning that, you know, it's not just about cheap and convenient access to the markets, but also about access to research and information, right? So I think for us, um, the speed of which uh, interest in this space has 
has accelerated this year has um, hopefully launched us even um, closer to achieving our mission, right? Which is just making sure that everyone understands that, um, you know, the right research, the right data, the right tools are necessary if, if you really want to uh, be smart with markets. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to come back to uh, to your predictions about 2021 because I definitely want to hear uh, what you think is going to happen next year. Um, uh, but I guess before we get into that, you mentioned a bunch of different channels where people can already uh, uh, get market insights, and they seem to me like they would be pretty good fits, uh, perhaps for your marketing strategy. So, tell me a little bit more about which channels you've been focusing on uh, uh, to to acquire users and and what's been working for you. Yeah, sure. So. We are a startup, uh, so our channel mix changes pretty regularly according to the resources we have and our short to medium term objectives. Um, in the beginning, it was it was a pretty standard playbook. We leaned heavily in a digital focused DR strategy that balanced reach and efficiency. So we relied on paid and organic social for growth, right? Um, because we're a new brand, these channels really helped us explain our purpose and engage in a one-to-one manner with our customers. Um, you know, we also launched really early on paid search on web and the app stores just so that we could hit like high intent seasoned investors who are specifically searching for our features and tools. Um, I'd say over the last few months, as our brand equity has increased, we've been able to secure partnerships with affiliates, influencers, podcasters. Um, we run on content sites. So, you know, rel- like relevant wealth management and uh, like investing sites uh, to tell our story and articulate our mission. Um, I'd say today it's, it's a pretty balanced mix of core channels. Um, um, you know, Aura is, is obviously one of them. We're constantly just on, um, currently, you know, we, we're just in the mode where we're just on a lookout to test for new growth opportunities. And, you know, we're not as established as larger companies. So we're just regularly looking for pockets of opportunity and like emerging untested channels um, to balance out what we have in our core channel mix. So tell me a little bit more about that. How do you, how do you approach a new channel? How do you evaluate a channel? How do you measure its performance? Yeah, it's it's pretty. Um, I guess relying on my finance background, it's pretty formulaic and it's it's pretty performance based. Um, so, like in terms of channel specific performance, uh, in the beginning, because our acquisition mix was simpler, we, it was a straight last touch attribution measured by our analytics tools and our mobile measurement partners. Um, over the next several months, we'll shift to a combination of you know a multi touch attribution program coupled with periodic channel specific incrementality test. Um, I tend to take more of like an uh, art versus science approach to, you know, measuring return per channel just because it's unique to every company and like every channel. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is pretty, uh, pretty, pretty playbook, like performance based. Gotcha. Um, incrementality testing has been a big buzzword around our offices recently. Tell me a little bit more about how you guys are looking into incrementality. Yeah. So, um, I think I was really lucky when I started out uh, my first job in marketing in Kayak 10 years ago because the entire digital marketing ecosystem was uh, really, really, really changing a lot, right? So programmatic media was brand new. And um, my, my boss and the CEO at the time were very, very skeptical of, of any digital medium aside from uh, paid search. Um, so 
I'd say I spent probably the first year in my in the, in half of my time there just perfecting the lift and incrementality test. Um, and, you know, that's, that's what we apply here. Um, but it really is just making sure that every uh, quarter or, you know, twice a year or however, you know, you actually run a specific holdout test, um, you know, or sorry, you actually run a holdout group uh, for whatever channel that you're running, you know, for duration of time. And then I just measure like the lift above that and then apply that as a discount to uh, like my CPA. Um, I don't, I don't know if mm-hmm. that, that makes sense, but you know, yeah. again, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty rigid. It, it's just like making sure there are like clean holdout groups, making sure that like you're tracking their performance and then benchmarking it against like what you're seeing and then subtracting that performance from uh, what you get from your like exposed campaign groups. Well, I see. I see. We've gone to, towards the scientist and away from the artist. And you, uh, <laughs> when it comes to incrementality testing, I definitely feel that finance background coming through. Um, tell me something about the the, the mix of, of users that you guys are, are trying to acquire, because you you mentioned uh, in your early days when you were when you were looking at paid search that, that you were you were targeting or you were acquiring savvier users, users that knew what they were looking for and that. That, that wanted uh, uh, richer information about their uh, uh, about their portfolio but I imagine that uh, a, a huge um, portion of your users are are Millennials or even Gen Z who are you know getting TikTok uh, getting uh, investment advice on TikTok so how, how do you how do you position yourself and how do you build that messaging yeah uh, that is a really good question because um you know, it, it's really easy for digitally native companies to find millennials and uh, and Gen Z, right? Because the digital space is very much their their playground. Um, and and you know, as as you've understood, um, when we think about our users, uh, what we what we focus on more is on uh, psychographic over demographic targeting, just because um, you know it it is it is not our mission to teach. Uh, investing to our users, right? It, it is our mission to make sure that those who have an interest in fundamental and technical analysis of investing um, have the access to the right information to do that. Um, so I think this role has been a bit more unique for me compared to others because, you know, I like my previous roles have, have all been in, mostly in the consumer space and it is a lot of sort of like, you know, demographic targeting and like, you know, ge- like geo-targeting and all that. And like here, um, what I've done, it's just like mostly like interspace and psychographic and like motivational behaviors, right? Like we're, we're very much just trying to find somebody um, or, you know, the folks who demonstrate that they are um, willing or open to uh, doing the research and, and, you know, making sure that like their investments are like well-informed and that kind of thing. Um, so um, I'm not sure if I answered your question actually, because I, I started to ramble. Was, was that, uh, what was your question again? I, I don't think you, you answered my question exactly, but we got into a super interesting space. So my question was actually around how you, how you differentiate your, your marketing strategies for millennial users or Gen Z users versus uh, uh, an older demographic who, uh, who are not necessarily as tech savvy as, as the younger generations. Uh, I see. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so actually what, what we found is like, you know, the messaging that we test across the demographics, and this is limited because we've, you know, only been able to really test this on Facebook, but, uh, but it, it's really, um, you know, versus other consumer companies where, you know, like 
we, you know, we, we know that like Gen Z like tends to be a lot more skeptical and, uh, you know, really values like trust in companies and that kind of thing, right? Like the research says that we know that millennials like tend to be like very saturated with media and it's more about finding, you know, the message that is, is going to, you know, um, shine above the others because like they're constantly being attacked by ads and that sort of thing. Um, but mm-hmm. like for us, like it's just been like pretty straight and, and, you know, I, I think because like our product and our platform is so, um, you know, the, the use case is so clear, uh, like for us, it's just been like, we have the same message and it works really well, like regardless of demographic. And I think it is because like, as long as we're hitting the folks who, you know, are interested in, um, you know, a deeper level of, of analysis for investing, um, it, you know, it, it, it works. And, and that, that's really, uh, it really, it really hasn't gotten much more complicated than that. Interesting. I, 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 Having worked on both sides of uh, of, of consumer and and, uh, and and more in the finance world for where you are now, it's it seems to me that there's a lot to learn from both sides, right? So if you look at a company like Casper uh, uh, working D to C, I imagine that there are strategies there that the finance world could only dream of, and vice versa. Can you tell me a little bit about the the main growth lessons that you've learned and and how you're applying them today at Adam? Yeah, sure. So. Um... Casper was an amazing experience when I was there because I joined when they were just under a year old. And, um, you know, I had, I came from kayak, which was pretty performance based, um, you know, and kayak had a very strong brand, but like it was a, it was a, a, a balance of, of brand and, and performance. And uh, Casper in its first few years was very heavily brand. Uh, I'd say like, you know, skewed more towards brand than, than towards performance. And, uh, you know, they built their company really on this like new sleep lifestyle, aspirational, um, you know, message and positioning. And I think that very much is, is also what we uh, what we're building here at Adam, right? So Adam is, um, I don't know if you've used the interface or, or taken a look, but like, you know, that you can tell with the colors that it is like, uh, you know, it is sleek, it is aspirational, uh, it is sophisticated, uh, it is it is more highbrow and that sort of thing. Because, um, you know, when, when you look at the other consumer fintech brands, they do tend to be, uh, you know, um, friendly colorful uh you know again like like pairing with the the movement over the last few years of like greater access to the markets like it should be easy for you to access the markets that kind of thing um Mm -hmm. and so we are we are very much trying to make sure that our our brand and our positioning align you know relative to the rest of the market and and also like align with with what we're trying to say which is like again like yes everyone should access the markets that's that's super fair um but you know like that doesn't come that shouldn't come without like the right work and the right information the right data like you should be informed like you should be like the best informed investor in the room that sort of thing absolutely and so what what's what would you say is the main the main lesson that you've learned about growth or user acquisition in your time at Adam? Uh, the main lesson, um, it's kind of the same lesson I learn over and over, no matter what industry, but at every startup, right? Which is like, um, 
you know, at early stage startups, we have the luxury of being really nimble. We can make quick decisions and we can try out and reverse new ideas really quickly. Um, you know, it's really important to make sure you're not overthinking and overanalyzing every decision because, you know, if something doesn't work out, we can easily change course and take feedback and just keep moving. And um, so I, I think it's always like a, a lesson to just make sure to be very open to change and experimentation, right? Um, I've been in previous ones. I've been at places where there's a lot of like hemming and hawing and like over modeling scenarios planning and you know limited action taking and here at Adam we're definitely not that um and I think with what's happened in the world and the uncertainty over the last um I don't know has it been six months now uh you know like I, I think like we've we've definitely had to like move fast make fast decisions and it's it's all worked out for us you know um but like the the appetite for sort of change and risk um definitely has to be there yeah, for sure. I get we we didn't really touch on the size of your team, but give us a little bit of insight on 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 who who's there. Who who is marketing at Adam? Marketing right now is actually uh, a team of one, so it's me. Um, so amazing. You know, yeah, we are a still pretty lean team. Um, I am I am hiring. Uh, pretty aggressively. So if you know, if you, if anyone knows someone, please send them our way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we are, um, you know, it's, we're, we're a year and a half and I work with, uh, you know, a couple of agencies and contractors from like previous roles. Gotcha. And well, that must be a real challenge then uh, to be always on top of so many different channels and on, on top of, uh, on top of so much data all the time. But I guess that, that finance background is really serving you well. Yeah, you know, and I never thought about that, but you're right. It, uh, I think once you go through the grind of working uh, at, you know, in, in a place like like where I've worked in in the past in finance, it is it is relatively uh, it just kind of gets ingrained in you. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a, an easier transition, perhaps. Yeah. So I, I said earlier that I wanted to get an idea of what you saw in fintech for 2021. I've given you a couple of minutes to think about it, though I've been asking you questions all the way through. So tell us, what do you see in 2021? Yeah, I, I, I have to take it back to, I think, what, what we brushed on before, which is, um, you know, I think we will start to see a lot of repercussions and, you know, just ripple effects of, um, you know, the, just the huge influx of individual trading um, and all the, you know, commission-free brokerages, right? Like the, it's all sort of been building up over the last like three or five years or so. And I think this year it just really, really, you know, really all the energy just went into that space. Um, and so I think in the, in the next year or so, we'll see, um, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll see why, why Adam exists, right? Which is, um, you know, it, it, it's imbalanced to uh, to grant such access to the markets without um, without also distributing the information necessary. Absolutely. Well, that sounds like a pretty good prediction to me. Uh, I was uh, reading yesterday that Robinhood is looking at an IPO, and I thought that that might be the uh, the inflection point for finance. You know, it's 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 just too meta for me to understand. <laughs> uh, investors investing in Robinhood on Robinhood, it's just it's it was just too much for me to handle. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Trang, thank you very much. Uh, this has been uh, super insightful, and uh, I'm sure that our listeners will take a lot from uh, from all of your experience. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Great. Yeah, I was happy to be here. Thanks so much for having thank me. Thank you very much.